Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. We've been working with our partners Kia UK this summer. Kia have been embedded in the world of cricket for almost 15 years. They've actively supported the rise of women's cricket since 2014 and have been the proud sponsors of Surrey County Cricket Club for the last decade. During each episode of the podcast, Kia have been providing you with an opportunity to get closer to the action through their Kia's movement that inspires moment. These include tickets and experiences to key cricket competitions across the summer. Listen out each week to hear how you could get involved and win the opportunity of a lifetime. Anyway, on with the show. Just as we thought the series was petering out with that final day rain, it pulled us back in. Chris Wokes, Moeen Ali and Stuart Broad taking seven wickets between them in the final session as England secured a series levelling victory. The 2023 Men's Ashes finishes 2 Two. I'm Yazrana, and with me today is Joe Harmon, Phil Walker, and Melinda Farrell. But first, let's head to Mark Butcher on another crazy Ashes finish. Mark, with the games coming so thick and fast, it's been hard to step back and take it all in. Firstly, four genuinely really close test matches, either won by three or fewer wickets or 50 or fewer runs. In terms of session to session swings, in momentum can you think of any series you either played in or what comes anywhere close um no i can't think of one um the only game the only game that didn't have that was was old trafford um the only game where one team was entirely dominant from toss to um to washout was uh, was the old trafford game and the rest were they just swung backwards and forwards um, I guess, I, I suppose, um, the session, the first session yesterday morning where, where England sort of, you know, just sort of cracked the game open after Australia had played so well last night, kind of, or it, it made it very unlikely that Australia would win the game. Um, but even so, you know, the, the Smith-Head partnership, kind of, you just thought, well, they're, they're cruising it again um, until the wizard, Mr. Wokes, um, intervened once more. And and the rest of it was just it was just it was batshit, wasn't it? <laughs> the whole series was completely crazy, um, you know. And 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 the weird thing is is that it it will go down as sort of being about the competing philosophy, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I still I don't I still don't buy that really because Australia have always have always tried to play the game on the front foot ever since you know ever since year dot it was always the Australians are the ones kind of trying to push the game forward and be and, and, and attack and all that kind of things and that the English have more stayed. Well, obviously, we know that's not the case with with uh, with Brendan and Ben. Um, but what happened was that Australia found that the only way they could hang in there was by sitting sitting in, um, which is a great testament to, to England's skill, really, um, and, their in, and their intention. Uh, and and I, I guess the thing that cost England the series outright was just was just a little bit of a lack of kind of a lack of just just nailing things down when they, when the going was good um, in those first two tests, because otherwise uh, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of order to say that England were, were the better team in the over the course of all five test matches, um, and you know if if you'd have told me that I'd be saying that at the end of the series from the very beginning, then um, you know I would have found that quite quite uh, quite a hard take to take. Mm. I mean, when you go down from from one to eleven from England, pretty much everyone played somewhere near their best or pot- potentially exceeded expectations. And to come from two nil behind to actually almost feel disappointed not to win it 
3-2 against a very good Australia side who just thumped India in the World Test Championship final. An Australia side who obliterated England only 18 months ago. It's actually, when you take a step back, it's one hell of an achievement for, for England. And, and not everyone was trying to turn it into um, a referendum on does baseball work? But for them to compete like this against this Australia side is quite something. Yeah, and, and, and it does work. I mean, it's categorically it does work. Um, it, uh, why does it work? Well, I mean, the, the, the thing you mentioned there at the beginning was was quite important. It empowers. It's empowered every single one of England's players to kind of to to play in a in a way and express themselves in a way that they would never have been able to do under previous regimes, under the pressure of an Ashes series and everything that goes along with that. So that's a, that's just a huge tick. You know that man management style that kind of says to you, "It's okay, absolutely everything is okay. Put your work in, make sure that your game's in, in decent order, and go out and do what we picked you for." with no recriminations. And it's just, you know, and that's meant that everybody has been able to play, as you said, over up to or, or above their, their previous um, previous level. So on that score, um, you know, it's a, it's a massive tick. Um, and on all levels, really. I mean, look, the, the interesting thing, I suppose, is that on a, on a much more sort of boring test match style level or test series level, is that Australia were kind of ready at the beginning with the, obviously the World Test Championship and all the rest of it, and England certainly were not. Um, they were little, players were all a little undercooked, and, and perhaps that baked into, um, you know, that some of the errors that were made in those first two tests. But it's absolutely undeniable that England finished the stronger, um, despite the fact that that um, that the two thirds of them were broken by the end of the by the end of the Test match. You know, just just the whole the the whole attitude. Australia looked world weary. They looked like, you know, they're just hanging on by by their fingernails by the end. And England just kept founding extra reserves of strength to keep surging forward. You know, the Broadie spell at the end was just was spectacular. I mean, I don't think he ran in as hard or as well at any point in the rest of the series. And he bowled bloody well up until then, too. Um, and so it just, you know, it, it was, it's an utter vindication of the way that, that, that they played. And look, you can still, you know, you can still question decisions made on on selection. You can, of course, you can. You know, it's nobody's job to just sit there and go, "Oh, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense." If it if it doesn't, um, but in the end, everything sort of came round full circle, and there there is a justification there for for just about every decision that was made. Mm. Um, and you can make an and you can make an equal argument um, to say that ha- had had they made a slightly different decision, that person or those people would have done well too because the environment that they're being brought into. So. Um, you know, it's just it, it. It seems like a fabulous place to be playing in cricket at mm. the moment. And, and pivotal to that resurgence was Chris Wokes. I was delighted that he got the Player of the Series gong. He was the bowler of the series ahead of several bigger names who generally receive more attention. So let's give him the attention he deserves now. How good was he, and what was it that made him so threatening? Pretty much at every stage he bowled in those final three Test matches. Um. Look, I, I'm not entirely sure, really. I, uh, he's he's his record in England it speaks for itself. Anyway, he's always fantastic and competitive here. But I don't know. I, I don't think I'd ever seen him bowl with with such consistent menace before. I can't put my finger on it exactly. Um, he'd been out in the game for for a long time. hadn't played a single Test under under Brendan. Um, you know, had had a really chastening time of it on tours of the West Indies. Um, has already spoken about the fact that he, he probably won't be playing any overseas test matches or doesn't want to 
because of the uh, the disparity between his numbers at home and, and, and away and the fact that he wants to play all three formats still. So all of that's fantastic. But why why did he have such consistent menace from the time that he came in? And I can't really put my finger on it. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen him bowl. He bowled very, very heavy deliveries the whole time. And that was the thing. You could Sometimes you, you think of Chris Wokes and it's a little bit floaty and it's it's kind of, you know, searching for a bit of swing or a bit of movement. And batters are on the front foot and they're driving him and, um, you know, and he kind of looks unthreatening. At, at no point was that the case from coming in at Headingley. Um, you know, he, 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 found a, he found a groove. He found a, a, a length the whole time that was absolutely perfect between not being able to get forward to it, not being able to get back. Um, and, and the ball just seemed to be slapping into that length. And, and any time there was a bit of movement, it was always in the right place to cause, um, to cause high-class batters problems. Um, you know, it could, be, it could be that after all that time out, when you're, when you're an experienced player, when you've played a lot of cricket, having time out of the game is not, is not a big deal because the, the brain, you know what you're supposed to do. The, the, the situation and the, and the occasion doesn't overawe you. You've been there and done it before. But what it does allow is for your body to recover, basically, to, for your body to be in the, in the best possible shape it can be in um, to begin with. And if you start there and you start well, I mean, he took, a, took an early wicket. He spoke about that post-match. Took an early wicket and that kind of settled him in. And the body feels great. Um, you know, and 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 you have all the other stuff behind you, which is the the great backing that you're going to get from um, from Baz and uh, uh, and from Ben, and and you put all of those things together, and suddenly you've got a you've got a lethal weapon in your hands. I mean, but but his his spells, every single one of them, um, yesterday, um, albeit with the um, with the extraordinary ball change, <laughs> were, were just were just magnificent. He just looked like he was going to take a wicket every ball, and he thoroughly deserved it. You know, his his, his his um, performances with the bat as well down at the, the end there, the win at Headingley, um, valuable runs down at the, the, the bottom end. He, he thoroughly deserved it. Mm. Um, NASA touched on it on commentary and uh, on, on how Anderson wasn't swinging the ball as much as we're, we're used to. And I thought that was an interesting comparison with Wokes. And I wanted to ask you that we sort of assume in how we talk about Wokes is he's someone who only really does well when the ball is moving without giving him actually that much credit for he actually gets the ball to move more and more consistently and for longer than other bowlers. And there's a skill in that, right, and being able to control that, that we almost take for granted because it's almost it's the most English skill being able to swing and use ball, <laughs> but he actually does it better than most other bowlers. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's, there's seam movement in that as well. And there was a great, you know, again, the hold of, the hold of line and length was incredible because... I remember we talk about um, Australia's batting in the first innings of this test match and how long it took them to get that lead, which actually, you know, in the end, you can say that it, was, it wasn't it was a lot of fun to watch, but in the end, it, it could and could and should have put them in a position where, um, you know, where they might go on and win the game, having given their bowlers a bit more of a rest, etc. But mm. England barely got cut or pulled in that innings. And Wokes didn't, I don't think he got cut or pulled um, again. Uh, maybe Steve Smith might have got one away at him. Um, throughout the, the course of the, the well, definitely throughout the course of the last day. And that tells you that sort of, you know, regardless of whether the ball is moving or not, your control over where you are, where you're putting it and the pressure that you're putting on batters and, and the fact that they're not getting any freebies um, is a skill in itself. Uh, and one that is, again, is often overlooked as being sort of something that you you would say, you know, every test match bowler should be able to do it. Well, quite a lot of them can't. Uh, <laughs> this has been this has been proven um so uh look he, he, he just 
and he's so unassuming and he you know he might you know ben might be able to change his mind about going to windy and he'll and, and i think if he was wise he'd probably say no in the same way as ben uh, as marvin ali said he'd could delete the text messages if he got another one for him to go to India, which was a lovely line at mm. the back end. Um, and to finish, we mentioned it briefly, but Stuart Broad charging into a trio of left-handers in the evening light from the pavilion end, moving the ball away from them. It was just written in the stars and everything from Broad the last few days, I thought just summed him up perfectly. The theatre of the announcement, taking a twofer but stealing all the headlines, the showmanship and mind games of the bail swap, and then, in the most broad way possible to sign off, really, really turning up for the big moment at the end of the game when the match was was there and needed to be won. He was the one who did it. Um, you know, just just a perfect way for, for Stuart Broad, the man, to end his test career. Yeah, it was Stuart Broad, wasn't it, the whole thing? Um, I th- I th- the spell was magnificent again. I mean, I, can't, I, I couldn't imagine being able to, being able to not nick those deliveries at the at the back end there. I mean, they were so vicious. And again, the, the the line was perfect. The length was perfect. And the movement and times, that ball was, well, we don't know how old that ball was, but it was, <laughs> it was upwards of, it was definitely upwards of 60 overs old, that ball. Uh, and, and it was just, it was absolutely irresistible stuff. Um, the deliveries that, that got rid of Murphy and, and poor old Kerry. Kerry was hoping for a bit of redemption, wasn't he? At the back end there, he kind of came out and played as, as well as he'd, you know, he'd gone really quiet with the bat after Lords. Um, and you just thought, oh, maybe, maybe there's another twist in this story. Um, but, you know, you're just not, you're not, not nicking those balls. They were absolutely magnificent. Uh, and then the atmosphere at the over, I popped out the commentary box at, at the end there, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes was, was as, as good as I'd ever heard anywhere, you know, including World Cup semi-finals in the football. <laughs> it's just absolutely electric. Um and yeah, what a way to finish. Hit your last ball in test cricket for six. Take a wicket with your last ball in test cricket and stride off into the sunset with your headband on. <laughs> I mean, you just touched on it there. I thought the atmosphere was as good as I can remember at any cricket ground, maybe the World Cup final aside, really. And it was all—it was still pretty flat around the rain delay because we didn't know how long we'd be off. There was chat that we wouldn't actually get on until five or so, which would probably not give England enough time to take the seven wickets that they needed. But just something awoke in the crowd when Moeen got head and then Wokes get smithed a couple of overs later as well. It was almost like English cricket just realised, hang on, we just we can't let Australia go home with a series here. And it's sort of like a spirit took everyone involved with the game into a certain direction when it hadn't really looked like it was going that way for for, for, for the large part of the Australia innings up, up until that point. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think the crowd played an enormous part, didn't they? Um throughout the, the sort of like the, the three must win test matches. Um and a lot of that was to do with the with the stumping in, incident. Um, you know, even even people that even people that knew in their heart of hearts that, that it was there was absolutely nothing wrong with it and it was fine. You can you, you use it, don't you? And, and everybody did to uh, to to really get behind England and um and, and you know and, and put Australia uh, and put Australia on the back foot. And playing in that atmosphere as a visitor must have been very, very tough. Um, you know, you you rarely get that. I would think in in Test match cricket, where every day and every ball, the kind of like the the, the crowd are just right at you, right on your backs. And some of it was over, some of it was over the top, but most of it was was fine. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, every time, 
it felt a little bit like being at Canterbury or something like that, where the, the opposition hits a, hits a great shot before and you just get nothing, you know, it's just like <laughs> complete and utter silence. Um, <clears throat> and and the, the small pockets of Aussie fans who'd been there been there through the whole the whole thing were kind of unable to to, to rise above the noise of the home crowd. And like I said, it was just it was absolutely fabulous there last night. It was really you know, got the goosebumps and the chills going down your back there towards the end. And you just knew that Stuart was going to finish it. You just absolutely knew it. There was no, nothing else on earth was going to happen except for Stuart Broad finish that game and, and go charging off with the boys running in his wake behind him. Mm. Yeah, a fitting end to a, a remarkable series. Cheers for your time, Butch. On to the 100. I'm going to go get some sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Kia wants to help you get closer to the action and create inspiring memories that will last a lifetime. Last year, they gave a local cricket team the chance to get coached at the Kia Oval by Surrey legends Alex Stewart, Gareth Batty and Uzzah Mahmood. This year, they're continuing to give back to young cricket fans. This week's Kia's movement that inspires moment is that Kumar Sangakara and other legends of the game will be leading a morning training session at the Kia Oval, followed by a tournament on the hallowed turf. So if you're 11 to 16 years old, or your kids are, and would like to experience this on the 23rd of September, all you need to do is enter by the link in the description. Mel, could we have wished for anything more at the start of the summer? From the very first ball, which felt Seven years ago when Zach Crawley punched coming through cover for four to Stuart, War- Stuart Broad walking off into the sunset after winning the fifth test match. Just an incredible series from ball one to the very end. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And when you think it finishes with Stuart Broad waltzing off into the sunset, having made sure that Alex Carey will be remembered for something else <laughs> other than Lords. You had the you had Moeen Ali, what a remarkable uh, storyline that was. Justice for Chris Wokes, who I just always feel every time he does something, hits the winning runs at Headingley and uh, everyone talks about Mark Wood. He gets he gets uh, two wickets in and over, one with an absolute peach at Old Trafford and and it's, oh, Johnny Bairstow, what a catch. And then, you know, he takes four for that day and it's all us, Stuart Broad. And I was actually just so happy that he was named player of the series because even though Broad's on the back pages of and front pages of every single newspaper. Uh, when you go back in history, he will go down as player of the series. But I, I suppose the only thing that that probably some people have wished for was was a three-two scoreline one way or the other. But yeah, no, it's that they're they're details, aren't they? What we've been treated to is a, an absolutely glorious series. I, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't here for. Obviously, 2005 is before my time covering cricket, so I I don't have the same attachment to it that I th- that I think a lot of the other journalists in particular have, and people over here as well. But for me, this this will absolutely go down. I'll re- remember this uh, for the rest of my life. Mm. Phil, can you remember enjoying a series this much? No. <laughs> no, I can't. Uh... 2005 had a, has a special thing for, for obvious reasons and you know personally it does because that was my first full year doing this nonsense and that probably felt more dramatic uh because there was so much on the line there was it felt like english cricket's reputation self-esteem what was left of it was on the line and you felt like if england hadn't got something from that series and they were never ever going to get anything from any series again against australia this has been more of a meeting of of two titanic teams on the same kind of level uh and obviously 
you know, a clash of philosophies as well. Uh, but whereas 05 had moments of, of dominance from one side to the other and, uh, you know, two draws in the three, in the five, in this instance, it was compelling as much for its vulnerabilities as anything else as well. No one really quite knew which side was going to fall over first and which, which side was going to be able to stay on their feet. Um, in the fullness of time, I think Australia to have not gone down, firstly to have won the WTC and then not gone down when they were, they, they were consistently slapped around the face for, for weeks and weeks, right? If you take it, if you take from sort of Stokes's final afternoon at Lords, uh, which signposted what was to come, Australia had a good day and a bit at Leeds, but then they were pummeled. And then Old Trafford was was a video nasty for Australia, written truth. And then at the Oval as well, uh, they somehow managed to still be standing, going at tea on day five of the fifth, on the 25th day of this thing. That's an extraordinary achievement in the face of, of not just... Uh, this Stokes is this Stokes experiment really coming to fruition, but also the power of crowds as well, right? We were here for five days. You can't underestimate that. You can't underestimate the the energy that that gives to the players, and especially a bunch of quicks who are out on their feet. Um, and so to withstand it and repel it all the way through to about half past five on the final day is a massive achievement, really. And they'll be they'll be hurting a bit this morning with Australia because. You know, they will say, okay, England were 140 for seven at Leeds and one more good hour and we win the series three something or maybe four something or maybe five. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, considering the overall story, I think from Zach Crawley's first drilled cover drive to Stuart Broad's, you know, self-scripted finale, I think Australia have done really well to get out of that one with a 2-2. And look, you know, they still have the thing, that funny little little brown thing they still have it joe matt asks, what what should we make of australia's series in a way 2-2 seems a missed opportunity but on the other hand it's hard to to pick that many australians in a combined 11 or australians who sort of rose up to the top of their game other than kawaja and, and stark so in that way 2-2 kind of feels pretty generous to them but they were half an hour away from winning the series 3-1 yeah and i think the the test we've just had summed up the series really there were so many points where I mean the it felt like both sides were out of it I was here on Saturday as a punter uh when England just creamed the ball around <laughs> all day and it felt like triumphant that day as an England fan as I was on that day it felt like a triumphant occasion you went away you almost feeling like England had won the match and then by kind of the end of the day's play the following day it felt like they might well lose it hmm. by the rain break yesterday it felt like they probably would lose it uh, and that was indicative of the series as a whole. And as Mel was going through some of the storylines we've had over the last five, six weeks, maybe there is a bit of recency bias involved, but I can't remember a, a series which has had so many different storylines on and off the pitch. And I think part of it as well has been the number of protagonists. So we've, I, I was looking up the stats yesterday. We've had only five people took a five-wicket haul. No one took more than one. Only seven century makers. No one scored more than one. It felt like every game, almost every innings, there was a new person who came along. And that's so much more interesting than, you know, Steve Smith is clearly masterful at what he does. But just watching him score 100 after 100 whilst other Australians mm. don't contribute that much is not that interesting. Whereas this felt like every match, every innings had something different to offer. A different player doing things in a different way. 
Mm. Um, and that's partly typical of the cricket that we see now. Um, but I think it was also just the fact that we had two very evenly matched sides up against each other. But I think if you had said to Australia at the start, we, you're going to take, the, you're going to take the, keep the urn. It's going to be two all, uh, and Smith's going to average 38, Labuschagne 32, Cummins 38 with the ball. I think they'd snap your hand off for that. I think mm. they've done well to to get away with this. It does feel a little bit like a kind of inverse 2009 when when England were very lucky to win that series. Uh, and statistically, when you look back on it, it's like, how did that happen? I think this is going to feel a bit the same. How how did Australia get away with the two-ball draw here? And we all know the answer. Rain at Old Trafford. <laughs> <laughs> Last time around, that there were only two two player players of the match, I think, weren't there? Across the whole thing. It was only it was Ben Stokes and Steve Smith basically right? swapped player of the match yeah. awards for, mm, okay. for each of them. Yeah, that yeah, that would have been the case, yeah, because Stokes would have probably taken it at Lords and Headingley, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, he did. And and Smith got it at Old Trafford and I think here... At Edgbaston, for sure. At yeah. Edgbaston. And I can't remember the Oval. can't remember who I remember the Forgotten um, Test. Joe Denley's 94 and all that. <laughs> um, the, the Mel was right to, to, to pick out Chris Wokes, who's uh, player of the series, having only played three test matches. He's now a, a double World Cup winner and the player of the series in an epic Ashes series. He was... Uh, an afterthought really at the start of the summer, but ever since he came into the team, he's um, been brilliant. Phil, you, you've, uh, you've you've always known that Chris Wokes is an excellent sportsman. <laughs> you've exchanged many a battle with him over and, the years. And, and other cliches, I can't um, believe you said it was his finest day on the sports field. I can't <laughs> believe that. As he walked in with his snooker queue this morning, yeah. I wondered if you've got <laughs> yeah. a celebratory match lined up. Um, I, I, I ha- we, we, we have penciled something in. Um, <laughs> 17 of his wickets were, this is a, a gardener stat, obviously, mm-hmm. I've only just found it out. 17 of his 19 wickets were, were batters, all-rounders uh, and keepers. Hmm. Um, absolutely no question that he's the player of the series for England. And we were talking about it an hour or so before the close as Broad was just finishing off, putting a ribbon around his own career. And there was no question that it should have been Wokes. Mark, Mark Wood brought the, the thunder and the, 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 sort of the, the immediate highlights package and the fear, for sure, one or two players weren't quite the same after that headingly first morning. Uh, but Wokes, Wokes really did hoover up. And his performance yesterday... I've never seen him bowl better for England than, than yesterday, I don't think. I think that's the best. Consistently, to keep coming back, he was bowling sharp. Yeah. He looked dangerous all the way through. When other England bowlers didn't look particularly threatening, he still continued to look threatening, I thought. Yeah, I guess he'd probably quietly, modestly and slightly bashfully point to his average at home of 21 with a ball or whatever it is and say I have had one or two other days out oh, yeah, of course but but it, but what he's not, not not tended to have at least in my adult memory is a dominant one-man show in a real monster big game you know he had that amazing game at Lords where he made where he took a five for and made a made a hundred but it was in a such a weirdly one-sided game that it it, it kind of lacked a little bit of mm. theatre, I suppose. But yesterday, we were looking around beforehand and I was working with one one fella and he said, it's Wokes' day. Wokes 8 for 57 is what he actually said. Wokes 8 for 57 today. <laughs> and it could well have been, mm. right? You know, if Broad hadn't said, excuse me, um, officer, <laughs> you know, this is my time, then, he, he, you know, he'd have walked off with a five or six. When you're, bu- when you're, play- when you're bowling as well as that, you can just bowl forever. Mm. And you don't feel the tiredness. You don't feel the legs. And, and he almost did. I remember yeah. me and Joe, we, we were sitting next to each other and you said fairly early on, oh, England are going to win this. And I said, yeah, but who are going to bowl the overs when, when Woke stops? Because 
Jimmy Anderson, uh, who turned 41 during the test match, Stokes became increasingly reluctant to hand him the ball. Mark Wood was way down on pace. Moeen, who had an excellent final session, he was nursing an injured groin and we didn't see him in the first innings. Uh, Stuart Ball actually had a pretty quiet first innings. It wasn't actually that clear who Stokes was was trusting. And I think before this test match, I didn't actually really buy the chat about England getting the better of the conditions over the series. I thought that England batted under the darkness at Edgebaston. And when it was really dark at Manchester, they had to bowl their spinners. And Australia did bat when it was cloudy more often. But I thought that was a consequence of batting at half the run rate that England scored at. They were literally just out there for more. So we're going to get uh, it cloudier than more. But this time, I think the conditions were massively, massively came to England's aid. First, we've got to say the ball change late on day four that Ricky Ponting wants an investigation for Australia. England handed a way, way newer ball after the ball thudded. Oh, so that's not, yeah, I suppose that's sort of conditions. That's just a big mistake by the umpires, isn't it? Mm. Really? It is, it is. like The, the, the pictures show a, a, a much, much newer ball uh, replacing a ball that was 38 overs old. Um, but then also, I thought with the rain delay as well, it meant that Wotes could bowl two really long spells against Australia's top seven that he probably um, wouldn't have been able to do. It definitely felt like there was a bit more life in the pitch after after the rain break as well, didn't it? As well as giving them a breather. Mm. They just looked a different bowling attack. I thought everyone bowled brilliantly after after that break. There was mm. more life in everything. There was more life in the pitch. There was more life. The crowd had sunk a few more pints as well. There was much <laughs> more life. In, I... I, I, I I got to say, I th- I thought, uh, now nah, this is heading for a draw, or mm. maybe Australia winning. Absolutely felt that. I, I felt that the uh, prospect of rain again and a draw. I was already feeling so flat. I was getting real Manchester vibes all over again, and 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 everything lifted from from that point. It, as it, it was funny, we we did sort of talk to a few people afterwards, and the ball was obviously not welcome by <laughs> Australia, <laughs> um, the ball change. I, I do, and, and obviously it was a it was a mistake, but you, you do see ball changes. There have been a lot of ball changes in this in this series and it's uh, in some ways a bit of dumb luck as normally as to what they're going to mm. do, right? Australia got a good one at Headingley um, that was useful to them. Sometimes you change it and you end up in a worse position. Now, it was sort of something really ironic that, um, well, a couple of things, but but that it was the ball hitting Kawaja on the helmet that actually forced the change. I mean, it wasn't like England forced it by doing anything nefarious. I don't mm. think it would have happened. And they had been absolutely... They've been you trying know, every other over to get a new about. ball. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, well, yeah, but but it wasn't. That's just what always happens, right? But but also they've been doing everything they absolutely could to get the ball reversing. So that they absolutely lathered it all over the place. Well, and one thing um, that that someone in the Australian camp sort of said to me too is with the ball changes, that the balls that come in have been bowled to wear them down to the particular number of overs, but they're not hit. Hmm. Is that right? That's what I was told, which I, I hadn't heard that before. By so that I'd, token then... The likelihood that you're going to get going to exchange one ball that's been bowled for thirty overs for one that's been bowled for thirty overs but not hit and not scuffed, the chances of you therefore getting a better ball to work with are exponentially mm-hmm. higher. Right? You're not going to get a worse one. It's, always, it's only going to be yeah. only um, better. No doubt, it's objectively a, a bit of a madness what happened yesterday with the ball or the day before with the ball. No question. Um, and Ponting 
while an investigation sounds a little bit over the top, he's he's right that I think some sort of clarification, some sort of answer is required here because we all saw the photographs and we all saw the difference in the ball. Um, all I would add is that England was still bowling with what seemed to be like a magic cricket ball. They were still bowling with it. So how many overs did that final innings take up? So 94 overs, and they think they changed the ball after 30. So at the very least, it, it's nearly 60 overs off. So it's a, it's a magic ball <laughs> that the umpires have either unwittingly, corruptively, yeah. allegedly, or just, you know, incompetently just blindly said, oh, this one will do. But it's it's still it was still going. And, he, and they had 15 overs with it past the point where they mm. could have picked up the second or brackets third new ball. Uh, and England chose not to. So they happened to get like a this magical sphere <laughs> and, and the carry that, that took 10 for 200 the, the carry that board was getting at the very end was amazing so one that speaks to the hardness of the ball which we don't really know how old it was but it must be at least 60 70 overs old uh, but number two we talked about it on one of the daily shows the quality of the pitch as well we saw a lot of um slow pace in the pitches early on in the series but here for the ball to be flying through to bestow at shoulder height off a length at the very very end of day five is quite something um Mel, I completely agree with what everyone said about Australia at the start. But how much of a missed opportunity was it in that England picked a pretty weird side for this game in that they picked all of the old seamers again for back-to-back uh, -back test matches where there's a minuscule turnaround. This was a real opportunity to get big first innings runs and to really wear down that England bowling attack at some point in the game. They threatened to do that at points in the second innings, but they didn't quite do it. And this series has felt like almost a referendum for how this era of Australian test cricket is going to be remembered. And the great, great sides probably do beat this England bowling attack in the fifth test match. Do you, do you think it was a massive miss opportunity for them? I think it'll be seen that way, certainly in some quarters. And there are already some knives out I've seen this morning uh, about are you suggesting that it's, it's, it's almost a, a failure in a missed opportunity. Mm. Um, there are a couple of things. I, I did feel right from Edgebaston uh, at times, whether it was from field placings or at times the way they were batting, like the way that Marnus batted here on day two, mm. it's just weird for me. I've I, I've never seen, I, I can't recall seeing Marnus bat like that. I can't recall many Australian sides mm. sort of going down that road. So, because it was different to what you would say was your normal attritional cricket. This was first first innings uh, at the Oval in a, in a when you're up 2-1 in a series. Uh, so that, that sort of seemed a bit odd and it, reinforce this thing at times when I felt that this series has happened to Australia mm. a lot of the times during the, the game and the way that England played was happening to Australia and it was uh, they, it was making them maybe make decisions that they wouldn't normally make or play in ways they normally wouldn't uh, and the, for all the where you know, concentrating on what we do uh, and not worrying about England can play how they were. There were there was at time a sense that at times a sense that that they kept saying, you know, we're, yeah, that we know they're going to come hard at us, but that's going to offer us opportunities. And and I do wonder if sometimes they were waiting for opportunities rather than creating them. Mm. Uh, and uh, that that there were lots of times during the series I felt that the other thing I mean you talk about the combined eleven and I, I, that was must have been the the, the hip thing to be <laughs> chatting about yesterday because I had that conversation with a few people in, in this test match and if you were to to name 
your best eleven, best combined eleven before this series started, and your best combined eleven after the series finished. I think it would look quite different. Mm. And only the uh, the only players who, who I mean, who enhance their reputation. I think Usman Khawaja enhances his reputation going back. Uh, I think Mitchell Stark has. He, he did go for for runs, but he obviously was was the go to to wicket taker again, the strike bowler. I think Mitch Mitch Marsh did. When you talk about unusual storylines, that was that was the one for Australia. Like Mitch Marsh, who would, I, he was joking to me that he was the sixteenth man of the tour. Um, and, and yeah, even that storyline almost slipped under the radar uh, in yeah. the match that he did it. <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's crazy. So, so uh, look, I, I think it'll be, it feels so meaningless to me retaining the urn. I, I, that's just me. Everyone has different opinions mm. on it. Understand it. Don't have a problem with it. But it still, it sort of feels a little bit meaningless to me. Uh, he had said that this, you, you couldn't help but get away from the fact that Teams and captains are often defined by their legacy is defined by ashes away. And I asked him about that last night, and he said, um, "You know what? What will be your legacy from this this tour?" And he said, "I think we should be very proud." Mm. So they're obviously going to be feeling that way. It, it just did feel a little bit two two thousand and nineteen ish, but just without a glowing. Um, really angry Justin Langer marching around giving <laughs> death stares. In four years' time, when when we go go around again, that will be twenty six years. Twenty six years, yeah. Which is the longest period that any Ashes side has gone without winning the urn away from home really? in history. Wow! So that's the context of it. Which, mm. if you'd said that to to the teenage you, Joe. Yeah, it would have seemed absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and I mean, at that uh, stage, uh, the fact that England would win more than one game in a series seemed yeah. ridiculous. Is that yeah, partly sure. because, like, too, because England have been absolutely mauled in Australia? Right. How, how long has it been since they won a test? What, in Australia? A test match. 10 well, 11. 10 11. 10 11, yeah, right? Sydney. So that's why, and whereas the series over here have felt mm. closer, and maybe that's one of the reasons that, that it does seem so shocking. And um, just on Mel's point about Australia seeming kind of quite passive in this series, I, I agree with that. But that is true of every opponent that England have had under McCullum and Stokes. And it's very hard to look anything different to that unless you kind of fight fire with fire. And then that's exactly what England want you to do. So it's part of the genius of, of the right. baseball thing because right. it leaves you very little place to go. And it'll be absolutely fascinating to see what happens in, in India because... England will continue to play the same way, we presume. Although I think it's actually interesting that we've got this big gap. England have had a lot of test cricket in a short period of time. They talk about being almost like a club side. They've been together all the time. They now disappear off as a World Cup. Can you come back to play in India, the hardest place to play cricket in the world, and just continue to play like you were five months previously? They'll do their best, I'm sure. But I do think some of the aura might have kind of mm. dissipated by then. But then also, what, what do India do in response? I mean, India just prepare Bunsen's and, and just what hope that England fall into that trap and there's every chance that they will. But if it does come off, even in short periods of time, will we, will we see India continue to, to play on the back foot and, and, and end up seeming quite passive in the way that Australia have here? Mm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we can, we can probably do about six months in the build-up to the India tour, so it's not, not for now. But I'm really interested to see if they do, as we expect, prepare really juicy spinning tracks. England will 
will go this way. They'll, they'll play their shots. They'll run down the track. They'll run past a few. Um, and I think that's the best way to go because if they play old-style English test cricket, prodding around with four men around the bat against Jadeja Ashwin et al., then they'll just come unstuck. We know it doesn't work. And we, we know it doesn't yeah. work. And also going back to 2021, even though it didn't work for England on the pitches that turned loads, there were moments where those kind of things did work. So Moeen scored a, like 43 off 16 in what was the first of at least three last Moeen test matches uh, for England. And then like Lawrence hit like a 48 from number seven, playing the specialist number seven, yeah. playing that way as well. Um, um, just on, just, oh. Sorry, in this conversation, it reminded me of a line that Robinson said um, early on in the series after the Edgbaston defeat. And he said, and I've just found it, just got it up. Um, of course, it sounds weird because Australia won the game at Edgbaston. But if they're honest with themselves, they will look at themselves and realise they need to change their approach to keep up with how we're going to play. And then he said, if there's any movement in the pitch at Lords, the way we're playing compared to them is going to benefit us. Now, he got a load of grief for that because, you know, you're saying that after a defeat. But there's a lot of logic and a lot of sense in that. And I think now that that point which was obviously would have been just echoed from what they've been saying in the dressing room I think that now actually does stand up and I think Australia's passivity kept them in the contest but they were staggering through the last two weeks the last two games it's been a, it's been hard yakka for them mm. um and they they were just about on their feet but you could almost sense they were almost in, sitting on their stool in the corner as well being slapped around by their own cuts man and 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 trainer saying, look, just keep going, keep going, hold them at bay as best you possibly can, you know. And, and in the end, they fell over right at the last, mm. at, the, at the end of a gruelling eight-week tour. It's much harder for the travelling team than the home team as well. Uh, but, the, but Robinson's theory is right. And if England can hold that idea, and they will, no doubt, and take it into India, then they'll have more of a chance of putting up a scrap, I think, than if they'd done it in the old way. Mm. Um, all of our Ashes moments of the week are brought to you by our dapper partners, Charles Tirrett. The British menswear brand know a thing or two about looking sharp. So whether you're heading to the cricket, off to the beach or even working from the office, they have looks for every dress code. For 20% off, shop online at charlestirrett.com and use the promo code WISDON23. When Steve Waugh scored his last ball of the day 100 at the SCG 20 odd years ago, Mark Nicholas said on commentary... That was the most sensational piece of individually constructed cricketing theatre that I've ever seen. Now, Mark Nicholas was here at the Keir Oval for the last two days. In his pundit shoes, they're think, everywhere. And I think it's fair to say that Stuart Broad might have outdone Steve Waugh. Um, Broad taking the final wicket is our Charles Tirrett moment of the week. Joe, it was just the most fitting way possible for Stuart to go, a man who raised his game for the Ashes, taking the final two wickets to seal that result with the, with the uh, crowd in South London going mental. Uh, an amazing moment that will be replayed on loop for years to come. Yeah, it was both. You couldn't make it up, but also, yeah, blindingly <laughs> obvious that's what was going to happen. Um, I saw on the Channel Four News when I got back last night um, a rather tongue-tied Monty Panesar being interviewed outside the ground. And so the thing with Stuart, he just wanted everyone to make a big fuss over him, which is, I don't think Monty meant to say that much, but he basically did get to the number of it, <laughs> I, I think. Um, and I, the, there was a bit of grumbling around the timing of it, a bit, oh, look at me, at a time when there was other stuff going on. Uh, and I can actually, I can understand that to a degree, but I do think yesterday, and actually I've noticed Barney Roney right in The Guardian 
that he felt actually this was distracting from England's bids to to win the match and draw, mm. draw the series. I thought yesterday it helped England. I think after the the weather, the break, it could have easily gone very, very flat. But actually, there was something more on it. And Broad, had, had as he does, had created that himself. Obviously, the fact he comes on and finishes it himself as well only adds to the to the drama. But I, I thought... I think that's a bit generous, personally. I know. I, I knew you would do. Uh, I, I, I think without Chris Wokes' opening spell, Broad bowled like a drain, by the way, with the new ball on, on day four and wasn't particularly impressive with, with the second new ball... <laughs> Early on in the day, without Wokes' intervention, you wouldn't re- really had a game to play with. Broad fluffed his lines initially. If we're making it the broad day, he was he was anonymous until the last hour, and he cleaned up with a couple of. But I think there was more around runners. the event itself. There was more in the crowd. There was more anticipation of what would happen rather than it being a match that actually, in some ways, didn't matter that much to people. But, okay, but we were we were all here. Obviously, and... it wouldn't happen without Wokes bowling like the way he did. But I, I think I think Wokes created the atmosphere. Because through his brilliance, I think if, if Australia were 200 for one, then all the pomp and ceremony around Broad from the day before would have felt almost awkward, right? If mm. Australia had well, won, it, 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 it won it the game the by, by seven, six or seven wickets, as they could have done, um, then suddenly it looks like a rather awkward thing. I think, I think it, it flowed from, from Wokes rather than anything else. I, 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 I basically agree with both of you. I think, I think it was really convenient. flat. convenient. I, I think it was really flat at the rain delay and it was just that Moeen-Wokes burst that kind of got the crowd going. But there was also another bit where it got, it felt a little bit too much like Ed Baston for England's liking when Mur- Murphy looked great, by the way. What a test match with a bat. Yeah. Like anything else. Quality cricket. Uh, he, he looks really, really, really good. Um, yeah, he's, was, his reputation yes, is enhanced. Yes, definitely, definitely. And there was a moment where I, where I felt like, hang on, this, this feels a little bit too close to Ed Baston. And then it, then Brawl coming on does raise the crowd and the energy and uh, all the energy around them. And also it was it was fitting in so many ways, but also fitting that it was to, to three left-handers at the end, which is what Broad's strength is now. And with this ancient ball that was still moving, Broad got the ball to talk in a way that I don't think any English bowler could at that point in the game. I think, yeah, so just to, make, just to make the point that I don't think, I'm not saying Broad created that everything yesterday, but mm. I think this match ended up being an occasion that it wouldn't have been if Stuart Broad hadn't, hadn't made that announcement during the game. Mm. That's not, not to take anything away from <laughs> Wokes and Moan and the way yeah. they bowled because he, Broad wouldn't have had his opportunity without them. But I think this match felt more significant because of Broad's uh, mid-game retirement. It's, it's funny how it plays though, isn't it? Because Moeen Ali announced his retirement right last night correct correct of, seeming kind of seemed a little bit reluctantly and then stoke said we're gonna have a conversation but yeah he he did he did he right did, he did. okay um moeen ali tore the the heart out of australia's middle order um and broady bless him came in and nicked off a couple of lefties when the game was basically won moeen ali and stuart broad that they, they they're both great servants of english cricket for 10 15 years and more they've both gone out here in glory and one's actually had a genuine effect on the innings and the other one has adorned it and finished it off and yet we all know who's going to be on the on the front and back pages absolutely and but also i would say broad we will never see play cricket again moen's career you know he's a he's a web, white ball cricketer almost more than red ball cricketer well, well, the, the phoenix when did the phoenix start tomorrow is it <laughs> is it tomorrow? no no I, like, I hear you he'll, he'll we'll hopefully be in the world cup yeah and also he's retired a couple of times before so we've got, we've got, <laughs> we've got used to this uh, what I would say too is remember he did um, tell the team the night before when they came out and batted brilliantly. And I, I do wonder if there was even a, a, maybe there was a sense of buoyancy there. I don't know. But they all knew that that whole day, didn't they, that 
that he was leaving and it was going to be a send-off. So I, I don't know that. But no other cricketer that I can think of, maybe Virat Kohli um, at times, but but I don't think even him as well. No one understands the theatre of cricket. We were actually, when we were having a few beers in a park because all the pubs were closed last night. So that was in, in, in a churchyard, Melinda? It was a park by a churchyard, <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the kids' playground equipment, drinking cans like proper, proper... It's a glamorous job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but we, but it, it was sort of... It was, uh, talking about whether or not um, Lin Miranda Manuel could, could basically write Stuart Broad the musical because he's, he's proper and what that would look like because he's <laughs> he's proper theatrical. Everything from from stop moving the robot to the headband to just everything. I, there's so many to the not, you know, when he didn't walk. that the, I just could not believe that he changed the bales around and got a wicket the next ball. Forget about the magic ball that 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 came in and did all sorts of things. What about the magic bales? That was absolutely pure Stuart Broad and it could only be him that would do something like that to take that, that I, I think I think wicket. the bales is is the truest mark of his genius of, of all the things. And you can line them up, you know, you can list them. But I think the bales is is beyond, but, but, but beyond I, genius. The best bit of it was him saying, oh, it's an Australian thing. And, and the end of the film is actually, not actually, I think I might have made that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's absolutely genius. He's also the best English player at winding up Australians. It is, he's got an absolute genius gift for it. No, no one else does it quite the same way, but I, I, it's amazing. I think, I think there's something about fathers and sons in this Um uh he grew up in an Ashes house. He grew up as as an infant. He would have been aware of Ashes folklore. There'd probably, possibly, allegedly, have been a big photo of his dad with his Duncan Fernley raised at Perth as one of the 300s he made in 86-7. So it's in not just in the blood, but it's in your form, formative years. Your your understanding of who you who you are in the world and how much naturally you take from your parents is already ingrained. And so it's not... It feels commonplace. It feels like, like you're just carrying on the family business. And so psychologically, that puts you at, at a position of great, your chances are enhanced immediately, I think. Uh, and then obviously there are other great factors that have gone, into, gone to play with, within him. And you can't create that psychology. But it certainly, it certainly gives you a head start. And just as his dad was a punchy... Uh, cricketer who thrived against the Aussies, especially, and was known as a combustible character. So his son has shaved off some of the spikier elements of his dad, but maintained some of the, the punchier, more competitive sides. I mean, I, I'm, I genuinely mean this as a compliment, but Broad taking 604 test wickets, and I genuinely don't really know what he's good at. Like, he's six foot six and doesn't get that much bounce. Uh, he didn't have an away swinger until he had 588 eight test wickets. He's never been rapid. But yet, he's had a 16-year test career. Uh, he raises his game in the ashes. It's like so few English cricketers actually do that. Like, even the greats, the modern greats of English cricket. Anderson averages 36 against Australia. Cook never got a home 100. 
Root's overall average against Australia is, is quite a lot below Cook his... Cook had quite a good series over. away from that is home, true. I should that is, add, that is, so. but, but over the course, Broad, Broad has been pretty consistently um, good against Australia, even in phases of his career where he otherwise wasn't actually that successful. His first major success was against Australia, uh, even in his late 30s when he wasn't doing that much elsewhere. He was still having good Asher series. Um, it is the ultimate thinker and tinkerer, really. I mean, And the master of reinvention, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and also gives the best press conferences. They are so funny. Uh, and he, on more than one occasion, he's conducted them himself. He did it the other night. He he's do, does it plenty of times. If the media manager's not around, he comes in and wants to go on with it. I've I never, think he's conducting them all himself, whether we know it or does. not. I but think he's, I've never he's come pulling away, the strings. I've never come away from a Stuart Broad interview or press conference, and this goes to your point about him being a thinker. I, I've always learned stuff, mm. always, every single time, uh, because he, he he clearly is a thinker and... And he's really good at expressing it. He's he's mulled all of the things over in his mind. In, in one of one of his post match interviews yesterday, I think it was with Sky, uh, might have been with TMS. Um, he was given an opening question that was that was quite open, and within two minutes, sort of unprompted, he's talking about like the data he received by the Knots analyst about his his yeah. record against left-handers, um, which I think is an insight. Um, anyway, I asked uh, all three of you to come up with a, a favourite broad. Memory, uh, Mel, do you want to start us off? Uh, well, if, it, if, if we're talking, there are so many great memories, but if we're talking about a spell, um, because that's what he was, right? He was the bowler of great spells. That's how I always think of Stuart Broad, these magic spells. Uh, and I, I just have to go 2015, Trent, Trent Bridge, um, because that was everything. That mm. was conditions suiting him. It was at Trent Bridge. It was against Australia. It was a huge Ashes moment. And and it was the theatre I was talking about. It involved one of the great Ashes slips catches from Ben Stokes, or was he technically gully maybe? Uh, but it, it it was the oh my broad. And, mm. and that was the pure theatre of the man that uh, one of the great images that I'll remember. And I'm, I, I'm just going to chuck in, it's an off-field thing because I went back to the first piece I ever wrote about him when I was working for cricket.com.au and they didn't want me to do a Stuart Broad piece, but it was the end of that miserable whitewash series in Australia. And I wrote a piece that, with the title, Is Broad Really a Ship Bloke? And it was a whole piece devoted to proving that he wasn't and included the fact that he and Matt Pryor talked a man down from a, a bridge in uh, in Sydney during the oh, last yeah. test, and I, it was great. all this. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten it. So you know, he was. Uh, I, I go back to to sort of that series and some things he did off the field that made me like him from the start. Joe, all uh, well, Mel talked about magic spells. Mine was the, the the first of his for England, really. Two thousand nine. Mm. Uh, I thought of it immediately, maybe because it was all here as it was yesterday. Um, you know a game that England needed to win to claim back the Ashes, uh, Australia cruising and he takes five for in no time and, and effectively, well, sets up the game for them to win the match in the series. I think the most interesting thing about that is where Broad was at that point in his career. It, where he is now, it's easy to look back and think he was the blue-eyed boy and it mm. all happened easily for him, but it, it didn't at all at the start of his test career. Just the stats earlier, that was after 21 matches before he played that oval test. He was averaging 38 with the ball. I mean, you're actually lucky still to be in the side at that point. England bowlers would not still be playing in the test side if they averaged 38 after 21 games now. He'd taken two fifers, but both are coming in innings defeats, the hammering at Kingston and the previous game at Headingley. 
So he hadn't actually had a particularly big impact for England. Obviously, it had the getting hit for six sixes by Yuvraj in the T20 World Cup a couple of years earlier to that. So we, we were yet to see, despite all the hype, all the talk about Broad and what he was going to become, we hadn't seen that much of him at that point. And this was the first time where he showed, first of all, what he, what he how much he relishes Ashes, how much he relishes the big, big occasion. Uh, five for 37 and an unbroken 12 over spell. Um, and I, I would look back at the Crick Info report just to kind of remind myself of it. And just to show, despite all the reinventions, some things never change. Peter English wrote in his report, Brawl was so confident he ran down the pitch without turning to the umpire for approval <laughs> until late in his follow through. Uh, it was after getting Watson LBW. So the birth of the celebrity. Yeah. So that well, was. We haven't even mentioned celebrity heels <laughs> once, like in the whole thing yet. Gee, he's given us so much. Phil? Uh, Joe Berg 2016. Um, mm. I was there for it. Uh, and that was the tour. I think it was that was the tour. They lost the first game, Joe, right? Yeah. And they were in, in a bit of trouble. Cook's captaincy had come under a bit of scrutiny and. Cook himself was struggling for form. This was the end of 2016, early 17, I think. 15, 16, I think. 15, 16 was, uh, was this when they lost the first test. Compton got a few runs. Compton got a few drab stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so obviously, Cape Town was a draw. They'd lost the first. Um, and it was a nip and tuck game. And then Broad picked the ball up in the third innings and uh, just ran through their top order. He took the first six wickets to fall. Um, he got AB for a for a blob, caught off the inside edge. Bairstow took a good catch. Uh, just running through the team, you know, Elgar, Amler, De Villiers, De Plessis, Bavuma. These were the James Taylor catches as well, weren't they? Right, so, yeah, yeah. And and he was just irresistible. And it was one of those moments where he had he had the pitch and the mo and the moment and the, as we say, the theatre uh, series on the line needed to get back into it. And he was he, he just did what he what he tended to do. You know, he was. He was like he was a bowler of a bit like Peterson with the bat. He was a bowler of great spells. As Peterson was a player of great innings, rather than an all-time great. Broad was a bowler of great spells, had great matches, rather than an all-timer. You know, when you talk about the great fast bowlers, he's probably in the second category, as you alluded to earlier. But undoubtedly, a bowler of of all-time great spells, and that was one of them. I, let me have a look. Six for six for seventeen in twelve overs. They won that game and went on to win the series. Mm. Um, I think the man who took the most wickets in that final session, though, was uh, was Moeen Ali. He left the field arm in arm with Broad. He later confirmed that he was also retiring from Test cricket. I think it's at least the third time that Moeen has retired from. Well, that, that's quite good news then, right? Because we England could do with him in India. <laughs> hopefully this is just part three. He'll be very handy, wouldn't he? Yeah. As much yeah. for I the mean, bat as anything else. They, they, they need to find a, a, a compo package for him because apparently his SAT20 co um, contract is massive. Hence why he's saying, yeah, thanks for no thanks. <laughs> We're not playing that silly Red Bull nonsense. But yeah, the ECB need to, need to dig deep. You use the, um, the word servant to describe Moeen. And and broad, did and I, I? And and I think Moeen, um, edit that out. <laughs> Moeen is, and there's a very real humility to him in that, in that he's basically done every role that England asked of him over the course of basically a decade. But I think particularly this series, he was living a very easy, comfortable uh, life, playing you know Abu Dhabi T10 one minute, Bangladesh Premier League the next. Um, you know, probably spends two months a year as. Butler's right-hand right man uh, for the white ball team. 
and crucially away from the scrutiny that he got when he was a test cricketer and he's batted literally everywhere from one to nine from England. His best statistical position, by the way, is number four, which also happens to be the position where he batted least in out of the nine positions. He played so little first-class cricket before this summer. He fills in the gaps at three and with the lead spinner. And he must have known there was a reasonable chance that it would go pear-shaped and he'd get pelters. And I think to do all of that, it felt like he, he wasn't, um, as appreciated as, as he should be and he probably wouldn't get the farewell that he deserved and I thought it was really really cool that he did get that moment especially when we thought at the start of the test match that he wasn't going to bowl again he didn't bowl in the first innings he was limping when he was batting in the first innings so I thought that was that was really really special my, my, my personal favourite moment of the final day was the Mitch Marsh wicket where Moeen ragged one inside edge off the pad and Bairstow um, almost in spite of himself, just saw it. And all all those past deeds, you know, the muscle memory kicked in and he just, you know, flopped it was, underneath it. Was it was an amazing a, catch. It's a brilliant, brilliant catch. Uh, and for all the, the grief that, that, that Johnny Bairstow's received, um, much of it, as he says, unfairly, uh, it was just a really good moment where two kind of, aging stalwarts of the of the setup if you like combined and that was quite a critical moment in the game as well because Marsh is obviously a dangerous player uh, and that was my personal favorite moment really um I'm so glad that Moeen had a day out because mm. he deserved it as you say he took a bit of courage to come back um and then to put his hand up to bat three played nicely at, at Manchester that was a great afternoon for him and there were a lot of doubters at every step like when when he came into the side there were a lot of doubters going. This is okay. This is now getting silly. You can't. You can't get this guy out. And then when when he's not round here, Mel. We we, <laughs> nah. we, 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 we were club we mode. <laughs> we were club mode oh, the whole way. I'm not I'm, sure. I'm not sure Butch was. If we're if we're talking about us. Oh, our team. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, come yeah. on, that's royalty you're talking about. There, <laughs> but you know, and then the, did you ask him about going out with Jagger? Oh shit! I didn't. Oh mate, that, phone him back. That, that's for next week. That's for ne- next week's. Mark better. Butcher went went out with Mick Jagger over the course of the, the Oval Test match. Oh, that will be perfect for our English sparkling wine roundup of the Ashes. <laughs> yeah. Moments of the series. <laughs> but like, even when Mo's Mo's finger fell apart, and then everyone was like, "Well, that's what you get for picking as you know someone who mm. hasn't played Test cricket." Thank goodness for Monica Honey. That, hey. That's my favourite story of the of the summer. That one because. Uh, the wife of a cricket fan sent sent him the honey, and he kept her details, and he lost it. He put the put the because it was a letter. Lost the letter, put it on his kitchen table to respond to her at the end of the end of the series. Lost the letter, mm. and finally, obviously, social media did its thing. But then when his groin went too, I mean, that was you had a groin strain. Just everything along it, it, it that that thing about uh, the philosophy, the whole baseball thing, and backing players it actually came to fruition quite a bit including with Johnny Bairstow and then Bairstow you know by the end still you'd have to say it's a mixed series he dropped catches that cost England dearly at the start but overall by the end he's had a good series with the bat he's averaging 40 Mm. and he's taken those catches at the end which are kind of going to be the kind of prevailing memory I think of of that of that final test two of the key drop they could have been the two key dropped catches in the series for Ben Stokes (laughs) can you believe like at at Edgebaston and he admitted that that was the only thing he would said he would have changed after after the Manchester washout. 
But, I, I mean, this is how many things happen in this series. I'd, I'd almost forgotten that. That was one of the reasons I thought, oh, we're headed for a draw or Australia win because he just dropped Smith off Mo, and that was like, oh, I can't believe it's going to be the the end of the fairy tale, you know, Mo coming back and and, and Ben Stokes then drops ben the ashes. Stokes, yeah, drops the ashes. Wow, so much. Gulliver's Sports Travel are inviting you to explore India and experience the ICC Men's Cricket World Cup 2023 this October and November. Be part of the action with one of their tours that can include guaranteed official tickets, accommodation, stadium transfers, flights, and more. To find out more information, visit their website, gullivastravel.co.uk, or call them on 01684 878 937, or head to the link in the description of this podcast. A few listener questions, Oliver asks, of all the innings this series, Phil, which would you best describe as having been strummed? <laughs> oh, right, I see. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a silly question. Um <laughs> Zach, Can't Zach, talk to our listeners like that. No, no, no just, you know. Um, Zach Crawley, 73 from 76, was the definition of strumming it, uh, as, as I see it. And apparently it's my word. So it's the definition <laughs> of it. He was totally effortless uh, and married up all of the good things uh, with a degree of measured composure, which is the thing that's been lacking up until now. You saw it, Joe, as a punter, right? And yeah, pro- probably when you are a punter and you're there in the ground, you get more of a sense of it. It's a funny thing watching. People won't really believe this, and I'm certainly not whinging, right? But when you're in the press box, especially at the, at the Oval, the the view is is c- concealed a little um, by this ugly sort of dark... It's, window it dark in there and it's it? hard to get a sense really of what you're witnessing especially if you're not listening with an earpiece listening to what the commentary is saying as a punter what was that like to see Crawley's inning specifically yeah I mean I said to you yesterday I thought he batted better in that innings than he did in his in the big one at Old Trafford's he just looked so assured all the way through I, he didn't look like playing the silly shot to to get out um even when Duckett went off like a train Sometimes Crawley gets a bit overexcited and sort of tries to keep up. But actually, he played kind of quite contained for a little while. Let Duckett play most of the shots. Um, and it, I think that was that is obviously the Crawley that we all want him to be. Not just the player who comes out and plays an extraordinary knock yeah. every, you know, every 15 test matches. That looked like a very repeatable thing for him to do. And that's the most encouraging thing, I think, from the series. Also, as a slip cat, I know he dropped right. one hard chance yesterday. He but he looks like the best slip fielder England have had for a long, long great time. Hick. Right, and two big blokes with two big wings. You'd go spans. back that far, would you? To I can't remember. I mean, Flintoff was good for a, a few years before the captaincy Swat, got in the Swan? way. Swan was okay. Swan was good. Yeah, it was good. Good. Trescothic was solid, but yeah. But 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 Hick Hick would would be your second slip, and he was he was superb. Um, but he's as good as it gets. Cook was always a first slip, and and an okay first slip. Uh, Now's the time. Would you, and on behalf of you, you and Ben, would you like to give a public apology to Zach Crawley, oh, who I, I, you've written off about half a dozen oh, times oh, oh. every week for the last three years? A hundred percent. Okay, 100%. good. Now, go um, on. The floor is yours. Well, yeah, go on. Do it. Apologize. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got that badly wrong. Zach Crawley had uh, an amazing series. He um... didn't hear it at the back. So just say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I at the start of the series didn't want him in the side. I would have opened with I said it on the show I'd have opened with Stokes and got folks in there um but but Crawley had an inc- incredible series um and I think that the England management um to flip this a little bit deserve incredible credit 
for backing him because it was unprecedented a player doing that badly um, to, to see him backed for that long. I think there were periods where, um, you know, there was, there was such a long gap between those innings occasionally. And he would he'd go a whole, not just series, but seasons without really showing what we knew he was capable of. Obviously, we've seen what he's capable of ever since he got that 2-6-7 in Pakistan, but it almost became a, a bit of a joke and almost almost felt awkward bringing that up because it was so long ago. But how, how England not only stuck by him, but also made him made him end up in the best mindset he's ever been in exactly. for the most important moments was amazing. And I think that I think there are two things about Stokes that I think is, is remarkable as a captain. is One, getting the best out of players, but two, getting 20 wickets pretty much every <laughs> time, regardless of what the bowling and tackle conditions are. And I think to get Crawley into that mindset was was probably his most impressive bit of man management. Yeah, absolutely. I lo- I've, I've been sort of becoming a bit obsessed by Zach Crawley from at the start of this series, just watching every single shot. And I was trying to think of another player in the game at the moment in Test cricket who played so many beautiful, gorgeous shots that would go for one or none. That sort of um, almost instinctive reaction where you find yourself going, oh, shot, and he realised just punched it to cover. And, And... it, it was sort of frustrating me and was watching it more and more. And then obviously there were, he rode his luck and he says he's a big believer of luck uh, in at Old Trafford in particular, the start of that monumental innings. But I go back to Old Trafford a year ago during the South African series. Um, I, was, I was watching the Nets. I've actually got video of it somewhere on my phone. And I was just, I was just filming Jimmy Anderson bowling to Zach Crawley and first ball, I pulled out my camera and filmed and he just like played and missed, ball clattered into the stumps. And you know how um, they play music? At the, at Brendan Baz loves playing music at training. And the, the song that was playing at the time was, I want to know what love is. <laughs> it was this mournful thing. I want to know what love is. As, as Jimmy runs in, the, the oh, that's stumps good. go flying. And in the end... That's all Zach needed. He yeah. just needed to be shown what love is. That's really good. Um, <laughs> Benjamin asks, can you please name your starting 11 for India, please? Oh. Now, oh. I, I, I don't have the now? mental space. Uh, no. I can promise you that we will devote <laughs> literally pro- probably <laughs> a, a full day, full 24 hours <laughs> at least of podcasting over the next six months that is just about... There, there won't be a spinner, spinner in England who we won't have mentioned <laughs> by, the, by January. We can promise you that. If you've got a guy bowling well in your club team, let us know and they'll probably get a shout out. Um, well, one thing I might say in the brackets is that Ben Stokes looked pretty useful at three. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe we've not mentioned that. Um, we've got a gem of an email from Alec who writes in to say, it's been a really interesting and exciting series and everyone continues to point out the differing styles, which is part of the reason for it being so good. But no one seems to be pointing out another really obvious and basic factor. It's been a very mid-scoring series, which always makes the best cricket. No one likes 150 versus 140 or 600 plays 550. At the time of writing, this was during the final test match. No one has been skittled for less than 200 and with the exception of England at Old Trafford has scored more than 416. 
and that was at five and over and ruined by rain. All the completed innings scores, except that one, have been between 224 and 416, which is very consistent over five test matches. Uh, cricket is at its best when it's an even battle between bat and ball, and this series has proved that once again. Uh, that is an excellent point that doesn't require comment from us, I think. Um, the great email, Alec. Remember, you can always get in touch uh, by sending us an email at podcast at wisdom.com. Um, in the next issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, there is a feature where we will be we'll include people um, who've got in touch with us who are either new or returning to the game, telling us why they fell in love with the Ashes this summer and a little bit about whether or not they'll stick at it and what was, what it was that drew them into it. Is that a fair summary? That is a fair summary. I was going to say this is men's and women's Ashes as well. So yeah, whichever series grabbed you or maybe both, uh, we mm. want to hear from you. I am putting this together pretty soon so 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 get writing Send them in. but also i think we can say you know the best ones even if they don't make it in the mag we'll read mm. out a couple more in the podcast yeah um next week and we'll, we'll read we'll read one out now actually um this is this is for my flatmate um <laughs> who uh this is nepotism isn't it <laughs> who uh i can attest basically hated cricket before this summer um so he wrote saying before this summer i was wholly uninvolved in the cycle of test cricket and had effectively self-excluded myself from a cricketing family. I've got two younger brothers who are both enthusiastic uh, and superior to me on the field itself. I always found ways to write cricket off as elitist, disconnected from the world and slow moving for the spectator. To my brother's mixture of glee and anger, I've been drawn back in ultimately to the point of near obsession by this summer's Ashes series. The key figure has been Ben Stokes, really, and his ways of looking at the psychology informing the brand of cricket that England are playing, especially their roots, perhaps in his own courageous and bravely publicised struggle with anxiety and associated mental health struggles. Uh, watching him and the whole team feel empowered to play without fear, remaining unfazed by negative thoughts or the media criticism in tougher moments, along with the question questions that might accompany every ball and every shot if they become overwhelming has been an exhilarating experience and genuinely inspiring as someone prone to this sort of catastrophizing and apart from anything else it has been incredible to watch as exhilarating and immersive a sporting spectacle as i remember he goes on to list off a few moments in the series and then he ends off by saying roll on 2027 which i think is quite telling not interested um, in the stuff down under then <laughs> no, well i mean why would he if england haven't won a test match there 12 yeah. years hey um, let's not let's not predict that it's going to happen uh, next time moving on away from the ashes very briefly that the 100 starts today believe it or not it actually starts today by the time this pod is out it would have already have started um, there have been several high-profile dropouts in the last few days. Uh, Rashid Khan, Elise Perry, Shadab Khan for half it, Alyssa Healy, Issa Nuller, Tim Davies is going to miss the finish. Uh, most of those players are injured. Uh, Rashid Khan uh, is injured, but hasn't yet specified what his injury is, despite quite a few people asking um, around, asking various media people. And he played in the Major League Cricket final a couple of days ago, which, you know, he might well have got injured in yeah. that, but it obviously has... Bowled a full spell, 3-9. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I guess with, with it starting, we're not going to have a preview of it, but if the 100s mission was to get new people into the game, does it, or does it feel a bit irrelevant, Joe, with so many people hooked by both Ashes series, and then you have so many high-profile players from overseas not taking part, but we still don't really know from the, on the men's side of it, actually, which players from the Ashes we're going to 
see. And, it, and it's also like, if you have just been gripped by cricket for the first time, this is so different to what got you in. It does feel like it occupies quite a strange space, strange prominence space in the cricket in the cricketing summer. Yeah, and this I've always been pretty sceptical about the kind of gateway drug argument because I think they are so different. So if you do fall for the ashes, like the people, like we've been receiving emails from people, and they're like, "Oh, I want to watch some more cricket. What do I watch?" And then you watch the hundred, but probably none of the players who are playing in the ashes are involved, and it's really different. I'm not really, I'm not saying it can't work, but I'm not sure that it that it's quite as linear as, as it's often made out to be. Um, you know, it feels hugely anticlimactic. I think it was always going to after the Ashes uh, this summer with player dropouts. That doesn't help. I don't think it matters hugely given given the way they're trying to market it. I think it matters more to us than to the people who are going to go along and watch it, probably. But it certainly doesn't help having those players uh, missing on a personal level, I've looked forward to the 100 to a degree over the last couple of years and been interested in watching it at this precise moment. I have no interest in watching it whatsoever. I'm sure that will change over the next week or so, but it is a hard sell. Maybe next summer it won't feel like quite so hard, such a hard sell if, if the test cricket hasn't been quite so captivating. But certainly this moment, it, it doesn't feel like the ECB's dream of what the 100 should be is is coming to fruition. Have we heard anything regarding England players? appearing so in. they'll they'll be assessed over the next couple of days um whatever whatever that means um i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure we'll see some of them but so I'm, I'm, so they'll be arm twisted uh as best as the ecb possibly can um, right okay yeah look without without them without the male players it's worth pointing out that the female players will be there mm. but without the male players it, it lacks a lot of luster for sure um i, I also find myself wanting to say there's still going to be 30 more days of international cricket before the end of the summer, right? So this, is, this, is, this isn't the end. Uh, it's an anti-climax, but what wouldn't be, really? Mm. It's slightly odd, don't get me wrong. We're watching Surrey's, basically Surrey's second string warming up out there for their Royal London stuff to kick in this week. You two are on the, on the gig Thursday. Yeah, Leicester at home. Leicester at home. And there's also, you know, as we know, that runs concurrently with the hundreds. Uh, it was always going to feel slightly after the Lord Mayor's show, regardless, I think. I'm, I'm going to my first ever 100 match this week, tomorrow. Oh, nice. What, yeah. which, which game's that? Uh, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> there you go. That's your answer. The big one. No, no, I know where I'm going, obviously. So I'm going to Lord's. Um, <laughs> I've been invited to the President's Box. So, oh, nice. So Because Ooh. I'm... I'm 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 elite. I'm part well, we'd all of be looking forward to that, elite. wouldn't we? <laughs> part, part of the problem but, of the MCC. Yeah, I'm part of the problem, and I've, yeah, I'm going <coughs> to my first ever one. I mean, it, it, do you see in Australia sometimes the Big Bash does get a bounce off mm. Test cricket? So it, it, the, the first sort of first couple of well, first year, I mean, it was all around the pandemic and the captive audience, wasn't it? Uh, and then last year was sort of post that. This is going to be the first time it's it's got a different challenge to deal with in off the back of this. Can we can we all agree that the standard of the hundred will be slightly higher than the standard of the blast? Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it will be. I think, you're, you're, I think con that's... you're condensing the English talent. Yeah. yeah. Um, if the blast was starting tomorrow, then we'd be compelled to say, and we would find it more natural to say, oh, it's going to be really good for the blast, isn't it? it's going to be really good. You know, you're going to probably get a few more eyeballs on it. You're going to get a few mm. more bums on seats. But the, the 
it's going to benefit from the feel-good factor that we've just had, that there's definitely a bit more of a buzz around the game than there was two months ago. And so the blast is going to benefit. Bring on the blast. We now have another thing, which will be, as we've just agreed tentatively, that it will be a better standard of cricket. It will also be more on terrestrial TV than the blast has never been on, as we know. And it will have more, rightly or wrongly, it will have more media heft behind it to capitalise on that bump, that feel-good factor. Um, but because the 100 is such a toxic thing, we automatically have to run it down before we've even seen a ball of it. Mm -hmm. It's just funny how, funny how it plays. And yeah. I think that's fair. And I also think, as you're saying that, I think increasingly it's important to separate the men's and women's 100s. And I think the women's ashes is much more likely to have had an impact uh, in terms of the 100 audience, in part because the formats, are, you know, they're not the same, obviously, but they're similar. similar. A lot of it has been white ball cricket and that translates into the 100. And I can see, you know, a young fan goes and watches one of those ODIs or T20s, very exciting game, goes to watch the 100, they can see a connection between same the two. Same heroes as well. So, yeah, and, and some of the same characters involved. The, the men's doesn't feel like that. But Phil's point is, is fair. I, you know, I, it's that comes back to that kind of lack of affiliation to a county you watch some cricket who who's your local team who do you go and watch is your local team Worcestershire is it Surrey is it Lancashire or is it this team that doesn't sort of really exist and then disappears again a, a few sure. weeks later but we also know that it's really played out on tv isn't it you know yeah. that's where audiences are actually properly marked ideally you get a few through the doors as well I, I see I see your point about um the what we've just seen is going to help give it some sort of a boost but the difference is comparing it to the blast is that the blast is never the centerpiece of what is on offer for the cricket for cricket fans and i think for a month after this i think it does feel weird that it goes to the hundred if you're if you're i mean it's all the talk is about new fans but if you are already a cricket fan i think it's a pretty underwhelming month of cricket given the likely names we're going to see in the main men's competition at least compared to what you normally would get in august if you're a cricket fan i think um, but apart from the England men's test team, every cricketer in England will be playing cricket. Yeah, but in August, you normally do get the, the, the star names of English cricket playing. <coughs> yeah, I mean, ideally, they should be. Yeah. It's, it's mad, mad that they're not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you understand why up to a point. To finish the show, we've got a great email in from Andy, who says, I hope that you're uh, among your review of the Ashes and the retrospectives on Stuart Board's incredible test career. You can give a bit of time to the T20 qualifiers in Edinburgh last week and Brad Curry's incredible 5 for 13 in Scotland's win over Ireland. He started with three he started with three overs in the power play, taking two in his first over, bowling a wicket maiden in his third and got Paul Sterling in the fifth. Then came back in the 19th over with Mark Adair 72 off 35 and Ireland needing 20 to win and not only got him out but only gave up two runs with it effectively ending the match. If you want a moment of the week from outside the ashes, that's probably it. Well, listeners, somehow Mel was actually there for part of the competition in between that tiny gap between the fourth and fifth test. Uh, Mel, how was your trip to Edinburgh? My detour. My de Has anyone ever done a detour from Old Trafford to the Oval via the Grange and Golden Acre? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure that they have. Uh, yeah, I did. That's where my voice is. That's where I started getting a bit like I started falling asleep, asleep apart. I started falling <laughs> apart because I need to fall asleep. Uh, yeah, it was it was actually brilliant to go up there because it was sort of a reminder of me, for me, you know, 
the ashes are so important. We all talk about the urn and everything else. But up there, I mean, that's cricket with consequences, real life consequences, because any any of them slip up on a on a banana skin and and then that's you know they both missed out on going to the world cup scotland by a whisker being knocked out by the netherlands and that costs you know that that's a million us dollars you don't get was 250,000 us dollars you don't get if you don't finish first and second mm. in that european qualifier both of those teams were really dominant. Uh, there, there were a few sort of little challenges and moments in there from from a couple of the other sides, but they were both so fiercely determined. You could just see that, uh, and and that that was a brilliant uh, bowling performance because Scotland were without Chris Sole. Uh, he got a rib injury when he was out in Zimbabwe. So having seen them fall. As they did there, it was actually really great to see them winning and to see Ireland winning. Also, that that final, what did they score? Because I confess, I had it on my laptop while I was here, um, sitting here, not inside like you losers who don't understand how to crack the Kia Oval, like the winner who sits in the overflow area outside. So I get all the atmosphere. I still had that match on, and Mark Adair ended up scoring. I think it was seventy-two off thirty-six. Because Scotland had scored like about, I don't know, 215, somewhere close to that. So it was actually a cracking game. Mm. I had them them both on. Uh, and it, it, I'm, I'm very, very pleased for those two sides that they're going. And just it was great to get out of the bubble and realise, yes, there is other cricket out here. And actually on a on a real life consequence level, it's, it's more important than who gets to keep a trophy that will stay in the Lord's Museum anyway. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, five for thirteen in a game where four hundred runs are scored is is quite something. Absolutely. Uh, just before we finish, we got uh, a few really great emails over the last few days, but this one is is definitely our our favourite. This is from Kat, uh, who wrote to Yaz, Katia, Ben, Phil, Joe, Mel, and everyone else who's been on the mic across the series. A massive thank you for all the podcasts you've done across the summer i've loved your regular long podcast for years and hugely hugely appreciate all the vast amounts of work that must have gone into giving us updates after every day's play over the last seven weeks um a special thank you for introducing some more diverse voices in recent months and the last year mel is always a total joy to listen to and a particular shout out to katia as much as i enjoy all of your dulcet tones brackets and i do hearing a regular new knowledgeable passionate female voice as part of the wisdom team has been fantastic you cannot be what you cannot see or hear who knows if there'd been a katia equivalent on the radio when i was a teenage cricket fan in the 90s i'd have gone into cricket journalism a big thank you hope you all get a deserved rest now and bring on india p.s could you have a word with someone about that three-year ashes cycle idea <laughs> i'm sure it'd be pretty popular um oh, thanks nice. Kat. that is lovely thank you so thank much you. for sending that in um well that is everything from today's show thanks mel thanks phil thanks joe this has been the wisdom cricket weekly podcast thanks for joining us across the series we'll be back next week for another bumper ashes review show where we're picking out our moments of the summer we hope you enjoyed it as much as we have kia are proud to be sponsors of both the surrey county cricket club and the wisdom podcast uh, we hope you feel this partnership has given you the opportunity to get closer to the action with kia's movement than inspire moments there are still plenty of opportunities left to get involved hi i'm kumar sangakara and i'm speaking to you from the Kia Oval. 
Hello to all parents of young cricket fans. If you are 11 to 16 years old or if you are a parent of an 11 to 16 year old, then this message is for you. As part of the partnership between Surrey County Cricket Club and Kia, this amazing opportunity has been created to motivate and excite you, cricket's next generation. This is your chance as a young cricketer to play here on the hallowed green of the Kia Oval where I spent some great years playing for Surrey in the sport that I love so much. You could be here at a coaching session with me on Saturday, September the 23rd before playing out there on the field courtesy of Kia who have sponsored this club and ground for over a decade. Cricket has been a huge part of my life since I was a little boy from the age of about 11 or 12 and I know what an opportunity like this would have meant to me. If you want the chance to be part of this, all you need to do is apply and we might see each other in September. 